0: This Sunday uh, is a little bit of an in-between Sunday as we uh, finish up the end of Project 119. We finish that this week and um, next week we start the book of Mark. And so even like your worship folder, you can see that, that uh, that's still some stuff from Advent. Next week we'll start our wor- new worship folder and also um, our new sermon series where we will be talking about uh, the gospel of Mark, uh, as I said earlier, um, But what we're talking about is, we're calling the series The Path, the um, not-so-simple walk with Jesus. I think that's exactly the phrase, uh, for sure it'll be on there next week. Um, But this idea of a path, if you've ever gone on a hike... Or a long walk, maybe in the hills, or in the mountains, or in the desert, or in the forest, wherever, you know that um, as you walk, certainly the landscape, it can be very similar, but usually there's some changes in it, uh, and you see things that we call landmarks, right? Maybe the landmarks are big landmarks, maybe it's like a big mountain, um, that you all of a sudden come around uh, the corner of some trees, and you see this big mountain, that becomes a landmark, because you're like, oh yeah, I that's where the mountain is in relation to this path. And, and, or maybe you, you see a cliff or a river. Or maybe it's a big tree or, or something like that. And these landmarks as you walk and go on this hike that you're on. Uh, sort of uh, put, a, uh, put a story or at least a, a little bit of a, an idea of of what your walk looks like. You walked until you came to the tree, turned right at the tree, walked until you came to the creek and walked along the creek. And it becomes sort of a mark on your journey. And each of those things are important in how you understand your journey. What we want to talk about as we study the life of Jesus is that... Uh, In the Gospel of Mark, we see that there are landmarks in our faith and in our walk with God. And those landmarks shape and form our faith and our understanding of who God is. And those landmarks can certainly often be positive, right? Joy, um, provision, Blessing, relationship, all those things that can be uh, uh, good things in our life, and those become landmarks. And God teaches us some things as we walk through things like provision and blessing and relationship. But some of them can be difficult. And oftentimes when they're difficult, we think about those things in light of, um, well, God hasn't given this to us. Or why has God forgotten me that I'm going through this doubt or fear or temptation or brokenness or, or pain, suffering, whatever that is. But as we understand the gospel of Mark, we understand that oftentimes those landmarks that are negative are just as much a sign of God's love for us. Because in taking us through those difficult things, God is teaching us new things that we couldn't understand any other way. So we want to walk through that. We're going to start next week. We're going to go all the way through Easter thinking about the path and how we walk with Jesus and how Jesus walked this earth. And as he walked this earth, uh, taught us a lot about what it means to grow in light of the landmarks around us. Uh, This morning, however, we're going to go to the end of the book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, and those of you who know, you've heard me say, I don't want to ever preach from Revelation. I'm breaking that promise this morning, but you'll see the text that we're teaching on doesn't involve dragons or numbers or other things like that that there are in the book of Revelation because those things are are things that I do not feel led to be uh, preaching on with you at this time. Um, but I do feel like there's some good things for us to learn here in Revelation chapter 22. As we go to God's word, uh, James Taylor, a friend of mine, um, uh, a guy that I have uh, uh, deep love for and growing in love for, uh, we, we actually meet fairly regularly. We met for fish recently, and it was good. It was good fish. Um, and, and um, you know, I'm obviously the one that cleans all the plates at the end of the meal. You know, I'm making sure that we're covered. Uh, it's a good time to hang out, and James is going to pray uh, for the message this morning that God meets us in His Word and the power of His Word. James, please. Good morning. Um, thank you, Lord, for um, just bringing us here all together and the love that we have for each other, and blessing Pastor Scott with his message this morning. He's. Just a wonderful man, and thank you for bringing him to us and everything. And his, just, his stories and his messages, it, it moves us. It might move you today. It might move another day. It might even move a friend or two that you might tell. And I want to thank you for just, just the love that you bring to us again. And, God, we, we love you, and amen. Amen. Brother, appreciate it. Have you ever read a book that you didn't want to end? You read the book and as you're reading the book, maybe it was an adventure story, um, a story about, um, you know, uh, relationships or about a family or something. And as you read, you got so drawn into the story that by the time you came to the last little bit, the last couple of chapters, it was like you, you, you didn't want it to end because as you read it, it just brought you in. Maybe it was a, a history book that you read as you were reading history uh, and, and understanding an event or a battle or, or uh, this movement or culture or something. And as you read it, it just drew you in and, and, and inspired you and encouraged you. Or maybe a, you've, you're reading a nonfiction book, a nonfiction book on, on something um, like faith or maybe something that you're going through that you're trying to learn more about and understand better. And as you've been reading that book or as you've read that book, you were learning so much and so, you know, it so spoke to you and so helped you understand what, what you were going through or what you're thinking that by the end of it, you're like, oh, I wish there was more, I wish there was more. I had a book. I had a series of books, actually, like that when I was a little kid. Um, When I was in seventh and eighth grade, I'll I'll never forget. It was called the Three Investigators. It was a series of books. Did anyone read the Three Investigators? I don't know. It must be a Canadian thing. I don't know. Anyway, other thing. All I know is that man. There was it was about forty books. And these 40 books were about three 12-year-old boys who solved mysteries. They were like, it was sort of a mix between the Hardy Boys and Scooby-Doo. So they were in a small town, and I don't know what this small town was all about, but it was like rife with crime because they were all these having to solve something, and sometimes it had like the supernatural, oh, there's a ghost in this mansion, or there's a swamp beast over here that's scaring everyone off, and they had to figure it out and go through all the story, and this kid could do this really well, and this kid could do this really well, and this kid did this really well, and they're their abilities all came together and they figured it out and they found out who the villain was. I just got drawn in. I would take seven books during library time at school and I would take them home because we only had library once a week. And I knew I was going to polish those babies off by the next library day. I would get up at like four or five in the morning. My, My dad would get up in the morning Whenever you he heard the newspaper hit the front door, it was the Toronto Globe and Mail, he would hear the newspaper hit the front door, and we would he would uh, start the fire in the wood stove. I know, this sounds like I was raised in, like, podunk part of the world. It wasn't, but we had a wood stove in the kitchen. He would sit on one side, read the Globe and Mail, and I would sit on the other side and read three investigators' books, and by the end of it, it was like, oh, no, there's got to be more. There's got to be more of them. There's got to be more of them. I actually just opened up Wikipedia this morning, hoping that there might be one more or a couple more that I could read or reread. There are no more. They've, he hasn't written anymore. But man, it just drew me in. And at the end of it, it, it just inspired me. I was looking around for every like swamp thing so I could solve the mystery and, and show who the villain was. This morning in, in Revelation chapter twenty-two, we get to the end of the story. And for those of you who have been on the journey with Project 119, you've gone through 119 days of being drawn in to the story of God's faithfulness and power in your life and in your world. And my hope and my prayer for you, for all of us, is that God has moved in you enough, brought you into the power of his story enough that as you got to the end, you're like, man, I, I I wish there was more. Well, there may not be more to the story, but it's just the beginning of the journey with the book. Because my hope and my prayer for all of us is that as we close sort of this chapter of learning and growing in our community, that you are inspired and encouraged, like next week when the Mark stuff comes out, to be involved in learning and growing and understanding the book of Mark. And it doesn't stop there. That maybe you get into a mode of seeking out other Bible studies. Goodness knows there's plenty of other great Bible study sites out there that you can learn more about scriptures. You can get daily devotional sent to you from a number of different places. Some of them not so good, some of them very good. If you're looking for some guidance on that, please, email us here in the office. We'll help you out with that. But our, our desire and our hope is that you become, even though you've gotten to the end, So inspired by the story of God's grace and love to you and Jesus Christ that you don't want it to end and that you're wanting more. As we see how this story ends with John on the Isle of Patmos, this whole story of Revelation is the story of a man who was in a vision, and he had had a vision while he was on this island. And this vision spoke to him about what things were going to look like when Christ came again. And there's lots of stuff in there that's very challenging to think about and understand. It's very spectacular. It's very, very, um, you know, it's certainly compelling to read. But trying to understand it is a challenge even for us who study scriptures to understand how we think about that. But the, we get to the end and John gives us a lot of really good things. In fact, this is theologically heavy stuff. And this morning I want to throw in front of you some heavy theological things because they're important theological things, understanding of who God is for us as we learn and grow in who he is. We're going to start by reading from verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Now, if you want to see what it was that John had saw, you can go back in the previous chapters, 21 and a half chapters of some really incredible things, great visions, amazing things that even as you read them, they will stick with you and they will at least force you to ask some questions. And as John is listening to and seeing and bearing witness to these things, they move him so much so we can see here in the text that it moves him to worship. In fact, he's so overcome that he just he, he spontaneously worships, and it just so happens that the angel, this powerful vision of, of a servant of God, is right beside him. So John is moved because he sees the power of God in this angel to worship the angel, and the angel rightfully says, "No, don't please. I'm not he, I'm not him. Worship God, worship Jesus. But the, for us to see that John is compelled, he's born witness to the holy spirit 's power in this vision that he has received, he has seen incredible things. He has seen the lamb, he has seen the dragon, he has seen um, the woes he 's seen the horsemen, and as he 's seen all these various things, some of them so difficult to understand, they in seeing them, have moved him to worship, and that he worships him God with all that he has now I, I, I want to ask this question. How many of you have borne witness to God's power? How many of you have seen God move? How many of you have seen God's love in your life? How many of you know even this morning the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of his love for your world? Then I ask this question. How come when we're singing beautiful, amazing songs of the truth of Jesus, we look like this? Now I know there's some of you out there I know where you're coming from I have lived 44 years In the tradition of this church This is a Christian Reformed church as their denomination I've been a part of the Christian Reformed church For 44 years I have lived within this sort of community For a long time And I've known a lot of this And I understand this We weren't raised otherwise Right? We, we weren't raised in churches uh, where we raise our hands. In fact, I have a feeling that when the first time, and I don't know if it was at Highland Avenue or first, two churches that combined to make the river a number of years ago, which person who raised their hands first and what the stir was when that happened, some of you can probably remember. I, I don't know how that happened, but I know that there's some of you are out there who are saying, that's not me. Pastor Scott, no matter what you tell me, no way. Now, I'm okay with that because I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to um, put pressure on you. I'm not here to prescribe to you how to worship God. But what I can say is this. That when you say there's no way that I would do such a thing, raise my hands. Say amen during a sermon. You know, wave my hands in worship before God, even bow down in worship. You're not saying no way to me. Hear me here. You're not saying no way to me. You're saying no way to him. Why? Because we see here that when you bear witness to the power, the grace, and the love of Jesus Christ, it moves you. It moves you to what? Love God. And I know you love God. I know you love Jesus. So many of you, you love Jesus. But what does the greatest commandment say? Love the Lord your God with? With what? All. Even this. Even this. Even our knees. All that we are. And again, I'm not sitting here prescribing this for you. I'm just saying that for us to understand that when we bear witness and we see in the text of scripture that people bear witness to the power of God in its clearest form, that their response is worship, to bow down, to engage in stuff that is, is almost, it's like John can't control it. He sees an angel and he just needs to worship, so he worships the angel. Angel says, don't, fine, go worship God. And the, the challenge that we have so much is we, we live out the frozen chosen stuff. We're frozen and we can't move. And it's not just about here. It's not just about in this room. It's about giving God, worshiping God with all that we have in our workplace, in our marriages, in our families, in our schools, in our social time, whatever it is that we do. Because that's what the command says, is all. For us to live into that means that we give all. I know it's hard. I know there's barriers to that. I know there's sins that we have to deal with. And there's struggles that we walk through. And sometimes it is just the hardest thing to give that up to the Lord. But hear me here. If there is a place in your life where you are saying, no way, you aren't saying it to me. Saying it to him. We continue. Verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Holy. What we're hearing here is that John has been given this story and that he is called by God not to keep the story secret. If you don't, you don't know how scrolls work. This is a, this is obviously historically and archaeologically something you need to gain some understanding of. What the scroll is that, that we're talking about here is papyra. Okay, papyri is actually papyrus. It's reeds woven together and smoothed out in their weaving in such a way that you can write on them. And what you would do is write your message upon them. Then you would take those things, wrap them up, tie them up and bind them in such a way that they could be easily um, contained and transported. Then you would wrap something around them that would protect them, put a wax, seal on where that seam came together, and then press a seal into that wax seal in such a way that somebody knew like a signet ring or something that represented your um, your initials or your name or who you were in such a way that it would cover over the seam. So if somebody opened the scroll, the seal would be broken, and in breaking the seal, You would know that someone had read it If you wanted it to be secret You knew it had been read If you um, wanted to make sure That something would be read Then you, you were told not to seal it up Because then whoever got the scroll Could read it And John is told not to seal the scroll Why? Because the words are too good They're too good For you to hold in John They're too good for you to keep to yourself And we're hearing that for us. We're called not to not seal the scroll. Not hold it in. Now, again, I've been a part of this, this worshiping tradition for 44 years. In this community and a number of different others. So I'm not just talking about you here. I'm talking about all the people that I've met over 44 years of being within this tradition. And what I can tell you is that probably the majority, maybe not a big majority, but the majority of people that I have been in relationship with over those 44 years in this tradition that this church is a part of, have sealed up the scroll. They sealed it up, put the wax seal on it, and have kept it to themselves. In some ways, it's the same thing as this. We're holding it in. Why? We, we know grace, right? You know the grace of Jesus. You know the love of Jesus Christ. You've been given that gift of grace. But in terms of the next step, going out and sharing and living the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, well, we've got grace. We don't need to worry too much after that. Telling other people about Jesus. Being compelled to be what we call evangelical. And I don't mean that in the political, cultural sense. I mean evangelical simply in the sense of us going out and telling people about Jesus. We don't really need to do that. Why? Because grace says that if someone is going to know Jesus, then there's nothing that they can do in order to earn that. There's nothing that can stand in the way of grace, right? So if I tell them or not, if God's going to give them grace, he's going to give it to them. I don't need to worry about it. It's one of the reasons why, again, we get the frozen chosen. And I know some of you like that, but that was a phrase for a long time. The frozen chosen live just in their own little world. Why? Because we have grace. We've put the seal on the scroll. Now again, I'm not not sitting here in judgment on you because I know there are some of you who are out there blazing a trail in the world for the kingdom of God and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Continue. But I know that some of us have to continue to ask the question, where is it that I have sealed the scroll and held back the truth of the grace of Jesus Christ? Where is it that God is calling me, like John, to share the news to all that they might hear it? Where is it that he's called me to do that? Let's continue to read. Now we're going to get into a heavy-duty theological thing. Verse 12 says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Who's speaking there? Who? Jesus is. It's actually Jesus. Jesus is speaking there. And what does he just say? What did he just say? That look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what he has done. Is anyone else uncomfortable with that? Why? Oh, boy. What do we get it from? Grace, Grace. yeah. Awesome. Then what in the world does that mean? What, What does it mean? Is anyone else really uncomfortable with that? What does it say again? Let's read it again. Oh, boy. I will give each person according to what he has done. That doesn't sound to me like grace. What do we call that? There's a theological term, actually. We call it works righteousness. The better we are, the more we get. The better we are, the better it is. And in the Bible, here in Revelation chapter 22, we get what sounds like exactly that. Now, you're really uncomfortable? Me too. Except for this. And this is, I didn't do this in the first service, so you're welcome, alright? I'm going to do this now. <laughs> is God in control of the world? How much? Everything. Is he in control of this piece of paper? When it goes like that, does he control that? Yeah? Yeah? All right. So with a phrase we can use is this. There are no random molecules in the universe. That idea is that there is no molecule in the whole universe that is outside of and here's the big theological phrase, God's sovereignty, right? Anyone agree with that? There are no molecules in the universe that are outside of God's sovereignty. If you agree raise your hand. If you don't that's okay. It's all right. Okay, so do I have choices in this world in light of that truth? But wait, hold on. God's in control of everything. God has a plan for everything. God chose where that piece of paper fell. Do we agree with that, that God chose that? So do I have choices? Really? Free will, all right, but in the world of God being fully and completely in control, do I have choices? And the answer logically is no. Why? Because God is sovereign. God has planned and mapped out every moment and second, every instance of my existence. Yes or no? He has. That's God's sovereignty. See, now there's only one thing. I ain't God. That's His existence. God's existence is knowing everything about everything, anywhere, anytime, anywhere, any way. I don't live in that existence. I can barely get dressed in the morning. Believe me, my wife helps me with figuring all this stuff out. That's why I look so good. I'm just kidding. I can't, I I live in the world of choices. I live in a world where I can make decisions that 's god 's existence, and that 's awesome that I know that that 's god 's existence it 's awesome that I know that God is sovereign. it means that I can trust him it means that I can have faith in Him that when he says in his word, he says, "I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, a plans for hope and a future that when he says that in light of some of the challenges and sufferings that I face, I know that since God is sovereign and his plan is complete that And I know that he knows the end of my story. And I can trust in that. But I don't live with that knowledge and understanding of who God is. I live with the knowledge and understanding of who Scott Elgersma is. And that's much more limited. That means that when I go out of this place today in my truck and drive out onto Highland Avenue, that I have a choice. Right or Left. Is God's sovereign will that that, uh, he knows right or left? Absolutely. But I don't. I live into, that nice word is, free will. The choice to live my life as I would live it in light of his sovereignty. Now when I think about free will in light of God's grace, I have a choice to respond to his grace. Uh, some of you are, you got more questions right now than I have given answers. Let me continue reading and hopefully we can get to a place where I can answer them. I think my last comments will help you. So it says, Lord, my, uh, my, my reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. First and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city Outsider are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root, the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. The one who is thirsty, Come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. We hear right at the end, we hear that whole thing of grace, right? Free gift of the water of life. Who's speaking those words? Root of Jesse, morning star, alpha omega, it's a Jesus. So we understand that this whole story hinges on us receiving the gift of grace from Jesus and it's a free gift it's the water of life something that God, Jesus says here here it is it is for you that gift of grace is free and it is in it is enough it is enough and in its abundance it is enough to give us life to give us hope to give us an eternity to give us a purpose to give us gifts to give us abilities it is enough But when we have received that gift, it's not enough for us to just receive it. Because when you've been given a gift like that, what should be? What can be? What is the fulfillment of the response to that sort of gift? It is gratitude. Thanksgiving. You've received everything. The the greatest thing that you can possibly imagine and it's free and it's water and it's life and it's hope. How do you respond to that? When we go back and we look at that passage about I will give to each one as they have done for us to understand that that's not the gift of grace. It is the response of gratitude. Here's what I mean. Y'all know how I feel about Disneyland, right? I ain't no fan. In fact, I hate the place. And I know you're thinking, Pastor said he hates something. Hates a strong word. I hate the place. I don't like going there for a number of different reasons. My wife, will, I will hear about it later because I said that. I understand that. That's okay. Um, but let's say, who, who here likes Disneyland. You are a fallen and broken people. All right, so <laughs> you, get, you get a gift. You get an anonymous gift. It's Disneyland golden ticket. All right, and I don't know if this exists or not. Maybe it does. It's a ticket that says you not only get into Disneyland for free for one full day, you get free food, all free stuff. You get to walk into whatever store you want and say, I'll take 20, and you get it for free. Free experiences, free extras, free this, free that. You get to go wherever it is that you want to go in Disneyland. How many of you have taken that ticket? Again, you are fallen and broken people. So you get that ticket, and I don't even know, I haven't been to Disneyland in years, praise God for that, but if I were to go, I'm sure this is sort of, I have a little bit of a vague recollection of what it's like. You go, there's gates, right? There's gates. And at the gates, there's people with those ridiculously colored shirts on, who have the little guns that scan your tickets that make sure that you're allowed to go in, right? And they go, beep, beep, yes, please, ma'am, sir, sure, come in, all you little kids, go, be foolish, all right, you know, then let you in. And you get there, and that gun goes beep, 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 and like fireworks go off, because you got the golden ticket. And they go, of course, sir, of course, ma'am, come on in. So you get into the gates of Disneyland. Now, again, I haven't been there in a long time. I do know that Main Street is where the pain begins, all right? It's at the beginning of the whole park. So you get to Main Street, and you stand there right at the beginning of Main Street, and you look around... Oh, that's pretty. See the flowers. That's nice. Oh, they decorated that. It's, maybe it was, it's still decorated for Christmas. I don't know if it is or still, still Oh, that's pretty. And you stand there for an hour. and you. Oh, that's pretty. That's nice. You stand there for three hours. That's pretty. That's nice. Stand there for six hours. That's pretty. That's nice. Finally, it's the end of the day, a security guard comes up to you, the parade is over, everything is done, people are going home, and the security guard comes up to you, and he says to you, sir, ma'am, the park is closed, you have to leave now. And you turn around, and you walk out the gates, and you go home, and people who know you've received the golden ticket say to you, tell me, how was your day at Disneyland with the golden ticket? And you say, great, I really did Disneyland. Did they do Disneyland? That's not what Disneyland is. If you want to be involved in the pain and suffering, you got to leave Main Street. You got to get out there. You got to get on Magic Mountain. You got to do Pirates of the Caribbean. My wife got stuck on that with my daughter once, so that's like the world's worst thing beyond if that happened on Small World. If that happened on Small World, I'm saying, you guys are, are, are you know, I'm, I'm in a. Mooney house somewhere because it sticks in your head for like three or four days but you got to do it. And you gotta go over here and and do this and you gotta see this show and you gotta eat this thing and you gotta see this secret spot and you gotta get your picture taken here and you gotta and the most ridiculous thing, I'm just gonna, I'm sorry I'm going off on Disneyland, but here it is Mickey Mouse's house. You think, I'm gonna go into Mickey Mouse's house and visit him. It's a small house you think the line's not long, you're gonna go see him that's a big fat lie. The line the house goes on like for another 300 yards behind it and it takes you forever to get there. But you gotta go see mickey if you're gonna go to disneyland that's doing disneyland standing on main street and he's doing disneyland grace grace gets you in grace gives you opportunity to see the beauty to experience the wonder To experience all that has been made for you to enjoy and experience in this life. Grace is the ticket that gives you a window to everything. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't go on any rides. A lot of us don't see any shows. We don't go see the park. We stand there at the gate. Why? Because the park is gratitude. The park is saying to Jesus, you have given me the golden ticket, the gift of grace, everything that I could ever imagine or think of or want. You have given it to me and I'm in and I'm a part of it and now I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not going to be a good steward of it. I'm going to hold it in. And Jesus says, go here. Don't seal the scroll. Don't hold it in. Go to Frontierland. Go to Tomorrowland. Go to Toontown. Go here. Go there. Experience all that I have given to you. Because as you do, you experience not just a future that is greater. Remember what Jesus said, I will give to everyone as they have done. But also a now that is greater. Because in doing that now, you and I experience transformation in our world. How do we know that? Because if you and I are about people showing love and grace to others in our world, if this community, this church, if you and your family are a part of showing grace and love to others, that grace and that love, that power of encouragement, the hope that you might bring, the joy that you might bring, the forgiveness that you might carry with you, that changes somebody, it moves somebody, it challenges somebody and inspires somebody. And as they are inspired, the world is just a little different. Different, that means our world is changed. As we live out thanksgiving, as we live out the gratitude of the free gift of grace, the golden ticket that we have received through Jesus Christ, as we live that out, we change the world now, and we change our eternity forever. Friends, if you go from this place today, my encouragement to you is simply this. go ride the rides. Let's pray. In Jesus, Father, you have given us everything that we could think of or imagine. Lord, may we not be a people who squander your gift. May we not be a people who internalize your gift, who seal our scroll. But instead, Lord, we break the scroll open. We, like John, worship you with all that we are. We bow down. We give to you everything. We, we have no, no ways. No way, God, I'm not going to do that. No way I'm not going to give you this. We have none of those in our lives. We are willing to give unto you, Lord, everything that we have. And in doing so, we can see our world changed In whatever form or fashion that you will do it. Because it's your spirit who does it through us. It's not our power. It's not our ability. It's yours. As you change our world, Lord, it gives us more gratitude to want to see more. More of you. More of your love. More of your grace. More of your power. And then, Lord, we know also that our future, our eternity, when you come again, it's changed. It's new. It's amazing. Because, Lord... You give unto us what our faithfulness has produced. Lord, may we in gratitude live in such a way that you are constantly busy getting ready the great reward for your church, for your people, for your kingdom when that day comes. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.